Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Interesting email from someone who said, Hey, Carol, I really need to know. I've got to know the truth, and I don't know how to get that from my partner. Well, that was written by a woman who had discovered that sexual addiction was a part of her life, and she saw the text from prostitutes, and then she did some investigating, saw some massage parlor contacts, she saw some Craigslist stuff, and you know what? She said, oh my gosh, my life is out of control because his life is out of control. What can I do? So like any partner, she Googled it. And she found out that this was not just happening to her. This was happening, I don't want to say it's epidemic, but sexual addiction or problematic sexual behavior is becoming more and more frequent because of the Internet. You know, the Internet is accessible, it's anonymous, and it's affordable. And there are people that obviously will hook up with each other for free. And so she felt like her life was spinning out of control, and she wanted some help with that. Now, I happen to use a model that says, hey, the first thing you do is you get that addict into some good recovery. Now, for an addict who's been out of control for a long time, I say that's a minimum of 90 days. And after 90 days, There's this process, and it's called the formal disclosure, the full disclosure, if you will, whereby you go to a trained specialist who knows how to do this process, and you invest your time and your money in finding out the truth. Tonight, I have experts, Janice Caudill and Dan Drake, who've written a book on the Full disclosure. It's how to share the truth after sexual betrayal, and it is written especially for you. My listening audience, if you're an addict, you've got to read this book so that you can understand why it's imperative for your own recovery, your own authenticity, your own transparency, and your own sense of self to finally get rid of these secrets so that you can get on with your recovery. And if you're the partner, you and I both know that you don't want this information, but you do. You want to know what the truth is so that you can decide how to proceed. You know, we have the same in our business, the world of sex addiction and problematic sexual behavior. We say, 
you don't know until you know. So you need to know the truth so you can determine how to proceed. And we're going to be interviewing the experts who wrote this book because they have spent a couple of years putting together a process by which you can figure out, do I have the full truth? How do I know I have the full truth? What is the full truth if you're the partner? And as the addict, you can read this book and you can say to yourself, you know what? I'm scared to to talk about the full truth. I fear that he or she won't stay. And yet, when the two of you do this disclosure, the full disclosure, again, how to share the truth after sexual betrayal, there's a much better chance that you're going to make it. Now, I don't know if Janice and Dan believe this to be true, but one of the things that I have seen is when somebody works diligently on being honest and, you know, really bearing their heart and soul, their partner is more likely to believe their truth and to work with them. And unfortunately, we have seen a lot of disclosures that were absolutely positively botched. You might have heard my last show when I said that I have a client who was told to come in during our lunch hour to get this information. And not enough time to do a full disclosure. I'm not sure what Janice and Dan are going to absolutely recommend, but For me, it's a minimum of three hours. It's at a time when you have some time to debrief, whether you're the addict or the partner, where intentional self-care kicks in so that once you've heard the truth, you have support ready for you and you have something to do that's going to counterbalance the trauma of hearing the whole truth. You know, you have therapists that are ready to work with you the next day. You have polygraphers who are willing to test and make sure the addict has told the entire truth. It is a huge process, but worth every minute that you've spent on it. So I am super excited to be talking with them because they have volumes one, two, and three included in this full disclosure. And like I said, they want you to know how to share the truth after sexual betrayal. And that's what really counts. It's important for you to know what's going on. So most people don't know what this process is like. And, you know, well-meaning pastors and counselors just think if they get everybody together and they talk about what happened, that's good enough. But really, there has to be a structure to this so that one can find safety in an unsafe situation. Now, you all know that I'm a proponent of APSAP, and APSAP is that organization that's partner-sensitive, and it understands the trauma that sexual addiction causes. And it, will, it is absolutely the framework and the philosophy that can keep the two of you working together to determine what your next step is. And I'm a big believer in going through the process of recovery, disclosure, polygraph, and then early couples recovery work. That's not couples therapy because you're not ready for it, but it is learning how to talk, learning what is going to make a difference. And so I am super excited to be interviewing my friends and colleagues, Janice Cadell and Dan Drake, who have spent a couple of years to work on this process. So welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Are you there? Oh, we just had a call drop. 
So hopefully they'll call back. You know, one of the things that I believe is that it is imperative for couples to decide if they want to be together. And yet they can't really decide until they've done their work. And this is hard work, but my gosh, your whole world has been rocked upside down. And you need to know what is going to make that happen for you. What is going to help you to get through this crisis? Because that's exactly what this is. It's a crisis. And what you're going to need to do next. You're listening to Carol Jorgensen. She's, hey, I'm Carol the Coach, and this is Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And we know you don't know what you need to know until you hear from the experts what your next step is. So that's why I'm so excited to be working with you. Okay, the phone lines are open. And who's on the call? Hi, this is Dan. And this is Dan? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, we're having some technical issues, but I think we're good. Oh, excellent. So, Dan. (laughs) Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. And this is such an exciting book. I mean, Finally, the public is going to find out about this process, which is so important to recovery. Tell us a little bit about what what made you decide to write it. Well, that's actually a funny question. Um, it sounds like it should be a simple answer, uh, but all, long story short, Janice and I and another colleague, Dort Reichenthal, as you know, um, we were all working on a different project. And as we were working on that, one one of the chapters was on disclosure. So Janice and I got together and we thought, hey, what? We let's let's put together the, the stuff that we already have on disclosure and see what we have. And when we put it all together, we thought, hey, this is this is a lot of good stuff already. Um, you know, really important. Uh, I, I don't know things that we can we can help other other couples out with. Um, so we thought, well, well, let's put this together, and make a little workbook out of this. Uh, and as as you know it, three, two or three years later, and uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of hours, and um, hundreds of pages later, we ended up with the workbooks that we have. So uh, the little project turned out to be a lot more in, in depth when we thought about creating a comprehensive guide for the full disclosure process. Well, that's exactly what this is. Now, for our listening audience, the name of the book is Full Disclosure, how to Share the Truth After Sexual Betrayal, and it includes Volumes 1, 2, and 3. So tell us a little bit about why are there three volumes to this book? That's a really good question. The, we found it's probably a bit confusing. Um, if you notice, it's a really, really big volume, a, a big uh, guide to disclosure. So when we were putting the thing together, you know, as I was saying, so Janice and I were working, and we found, oh, there's this exercise. Well, what do we do about boundaries for the partner, and how does the disclosing party respect those boundaries? And what about, um, you know, all these different things that we added to it. So ultimately, the the whole workbook turned into several hundred pages. So we thought that might be overwhelming for some people to try and navigate. So essentially, volume one is preparation prior to disclosure, you know, what is disclosure, is it right for me, Um, the benefits and risks, trying to understand it, where it fits. Volume two is how do I prepare for this disclosure thing, and then volume three is what to do after the disclosure. So that's, we wanted to break it down because it was uh, a pretty massive undertaking for us to do. I know, and I know we only have a brief amount of time, but can you let our listening audience know, because so many of them don't. What is a disclosure? Yeah, so full disclosure, how we're defining it, is a process of essentially coming clean after sexual betrayal. So, you know, as you know, as your listeners know from, you know, countless, this is, how many podcasts is this, 300-something for you? So something like that, Carol? 400 and counting. 400. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm way behind. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as you've talked about sex addiction, betrayal trauma over the years, um, you know, after discovery, 
typically what happens with sex addiction, there's a, a lot of deception. So the addict will deceive and, um, you know, for months, years, decades sometimes, obviously, uh, this can happen. So what we need to do is uh, establish a new foundation of truth um, after, after that deception, after that betrayal. So the full disclosure process is a guided, facilitated process where the partner and the, the addict um, or the disclosing party come together and where the addict shares their, their full truth um, to level the playing field so that all the, the, the facts and truth is on the table. And one of the things that I absolutely know to be true is that this is a process that has to be facilitated by people who understand, who understand the process and want to keep the couple safe, both the addict and the partner, and want to make sure that they're safe before the process, during the process, and after the process. Now, I do believe I have Janice on the other line. I'm going to check in and make sure I've got her. Um, so Hi. Is that Janice? It is. Hi. Hello. Excellent. Well, Dan, Dan came on a little bit early, so we decided to get started. And we're talking about what is the disclosure because it seems like it's so obvious to anybody who's really doing good work with sex addicts and partners. But for the majority of people out there, they think if they just ask questions for the next nine months, 12 months, whatever, they've gotten a full disclosure. So I'm going to ask you, Janice, why is that actually harmful to have that kind of staggered information, that staggered disclosure? Why is that harmful to both the addict and the partner? Well, I think from the partner's perspective, um, imagine that every time you ask a question and think that you've gotten, you know, all of it, um, that when you recognize again there are more questions, there's still more unknown, it's like ripping the scab um, off a wound. And over time, instead of more healing, um, the wound gets, you know, deeper uh, and there's more damage there. And so the, the damage to either one of the people in the relationship is, is going to impact the relationship itself. So the very process of trying to get information that's needed in order to figure out what's going on in her world and be able then to figure out, you know, how to, like, move forward um, in a relationship, the very process of the way of doing it continues to damage the relationship itself as well as, as, well as the partner. Right, and you both know that... So oftentimes an addict may want to be honest and truthful, but they say to me and they say to other therapists, what difference does it make whether I went to 13 prostitutes or 30 prostitutes? I mean, can't I just give her the bare minimum? Isn't that enough? So, Dan, why, why isn't that going to be good enough for a partner? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a couple things I would say to that. And, and even to back up to what you were saying, Janice, I love what you said. And sometimes for, for listeners, I find this analogy helpful. I always use a medical uh, analogy. So think of going into surgery. Let's say you have a, a, a tumor. Um, none of us, you want to make sure if you go into surgery that you get the full tumor, right? So it's the same kind of thing in a disclosure. You don't want to get part of the tumor and find out later you thought you were, you were cancer-free and then all of a sudden you find out you're not. Um, it's the same thing here. So when you think of a staggered disclosure, um, it's, it's not enough to just say part of the truth. You really do need to say the, the full truth um, to, to the extent that the partner wants to know it because if, if, if you don't, then what ends up happening is um, – you know, and, well, let me back up again. If none of our memories are going to be perfect, so 13 versus 30, if to the best of my knowledge I'm saying it was 13 prostitutes, okay. But if I know it was 30 and I'm going to say 13 because it sounds a little bit better, that's a little bit different. That's a, it's a different story because what we often find, once the partner finds out that it was 30, not 13, it's going to be more deception. It's going to be more minimization. Um, it's going to be more uh, subtle um, 
you know, withholding of information. So we often find partners looking through phone records and bank accounts and things. And so we need to, on the addict side, um, give a full accounting of, of what, what actually happened because if and when the partner does look for information, which is totally understandable, then you want to make sure that, that he or she has all the information correctly um, because you're building a new foundation based on truth. And if it's not the full truth, then it's not a full disclosure. Yeah, and I would have to say that both Janice and Dan and I really believe if the couple wants to stay together, this is imperative to building that solid foundation, um, or I should say rebuilding a foundation that, that is solid. And, you know, many people say, well, I don't know if I want to stay together. And if that's the case, the disclosure is the gateway to figuring out what is the truth and what do I want from it. Is, is this information too damaging for me, or can I work through and process it so that I really can be with a person that I love? Um, Janice, I'm just kind of curious. You know, we were talking about volume one, two, and three. Now, that is included in this entire manual. Um, the, the, the manual that's out right now is, is like a mini version. Um, the, the manual for the partners uh, will be out shortly, and that will include, yes, three separate kind of parts, three separate vol- volumes, if you will, um, you know, in f- providing information ab- uh, about what the full disclosure process is or can be. Um, hopefully having some resources in there that help both the both parties make some decisions about what what choices around how to design a disclosure are best for them. Then there's a second section that literally step-by-step guides partner um, for preparing for the, the, the information, what she wants to know, needs to know, um, you know, from her spouse, but also prepares her for, like, how to, uh, like, her own coping capacity to increase so that the information that she receives has, is less damaging to her. Um, and then there's a final component, a final volume of that that leads her through what we, we call the uh, partner impact statement and begins the process of that re-sort of visioning of what the, a coupleship based on truth can be. Okay, and something so can speak to that a little bit more, we, Carol, as well. Absolutely. Um, it, Continue, Dan. <laughs> so it's a little bit. Um, Janice has done um, so much work. So with her background uh, and training somatically, she's done a ton of work to to build resources and supports um, on two different prongs for the for the partner. So there's the uh, preparation for. You know, the logistics, you know, what kinds of information to, do I want to know, what kind, how do I write the, the questions that I can, uh, that, that to ask for the disclosure in a, in a format that's going to work for a disclosure, you know, in a disclosure setting. So, you know, there's that part of the, the prep, and then there's also the, the emotional preparation, uh, mental preparation, uh, physical, spiritual preparation. So she's done a ton of work, and we've, we've tried to, to build these so that, um, you know, both of those, those components are, are interspersed all the way through. So it may be a little confusing online right now. When she says the mini version, um, we've condensed the, some of the, the most significant pieces of preparation to, you know, preparation for the disclosure process, um, uh, the vetting questions and a disclosure needs assessment for the partner. And that's, a, that's the green volume, if you see that online, it's a green one. Um, it's a condensed version. What we did, and I have a condensed version for how to prepare the disclosure document as well online, so I realize that might be confusing. We did that because we've spent so much time and energy on the, these, these bigger, um, you know, more complete volumes, and we, we, as we were in editing, we just figured we needed to get something out there because so many people were needing some support. So this is a, a way that you could walk through the disclosure, you know, preparation process for the partner in the, that green volume, um, and then the other ones uh, would, would help from, from the attic side. So I know it's a little bit confusing to try and navigate, but that's what we are trying to do um, 
and hopefully we'll, we'll have the bigger, more full version out uh, pretty soon for the partner. Yeah. Yeah, and I would also say that one of for the fuller versions that both of us have tried to uh, design a preparation process that not only begins to rebuild that foundation, but also kind of emotionally, spiritually, um, you know, psychically, you know, prepares people for um, the longer kind of. Um, the longer process of reestablishing sort of the relationship piece. So we try to do it in a way that um, you get to keep your gains that that you you go preparation process. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that, Janice, because I was thinking to myself, for our listening audience out there, they may not know exactly exactly what you're talking about when you say we want to prepare them for the emotional, the spiritual, and the psychic kind of experience. So will you go into that a little bit, especially that emotional uh, concept? What does a partner experience as, as the addict? What do they both experience when they're going through that discovery and, and then they've had, you know, the addict has the recovery and now it's time to do the disclosure. What's going on for them? Well, you know, if, if you think um, about the discovery being likened to um, the equivalent of an earthquake that rocks everything in your world, you know, that's, that's what discovery typically is for the partner. And, and rocks it in a way that the foundation of everything is, like, severed. Um, you know, partners usually want to there's a psychological thriller that comes out at the movies that's something like, you know, you wake up one morning and everything kind of looks the same, but it's different, and you can't even trust your own perception of what's real and not. And we call those psychological thrillers because it's so disorienting um, to the person. Um, that's kind of what partners go through at Discovery, and part of that quest becomes what can I trust is real, um, it's a real sort of crisis for her in terms of, like, identity. It's one of those things in life that partners go through that, that changes them. There's a before and an after that day. And part of the process for her is, is not just finding out the information that helps her know what's been true in her relationship, what, what she can begin to trust is true um, from her, her spouse, but it's it's also that beginning to put herself back together, um, and you know the process of the preparation for the disclosure itself, even figuring out what questions you need to know, what you need to ask, is is, is very triggering because it brings up all the memories of all the things that maybe she's learned that were. And every memory of something that she learned that was shocking and painful to her, you know, there's a little tiny wave of that emotion in the memory itself. If I think of something that happened to me that was really, really sad, even even though it may be many years, you know, before, I'm still going to feel a little wave of, of sadness. So if she experienced fear, if she experienced despair, if she experienced anger, um, in the discovery, and it, it's perhaps uh, more accurate to say discoveries because it almost never happens all at once, then she's got to, like, that's exactly what she has to, like, be um, reminded of and re-experience to a, a tiny degree as she prepares for the disclosure itself. And so part of that is the preparation is how do I do some things for myself that actually help bring some comfort, you know, that that um, decreases my fears. Or at, at a minimum, I can feel emotionally safe in this moment. If it's about anger that comes up, well, how do I, you know, um, how do I prepare for a disclosure and how do I rebuild my life so that I'm not churning in anger? If, it, if it's about despair and grief, it's how do I grieve 
without getting stuck in grief forever. So the the process of preparation itself, I think um, that that most partners who really begin it are really surprised at how difficult it is. You have to face your worst fears, and you have to figure out how I'm going. How am I going to handle it if this piece, this fear, this question I have is true? So there's a, there's a lot of, like, emotional preparation for that process. And one of the concepts that Dan and I sort of talk about in the works, workbook is the two different types of truth. There's the truth of the facts, what's real, what happened. Um, that's the, the content of the disclosure. But there's also a truth that behavior tells us. And sometimes that's more important and more more difficult and requires its own preparation. For example, if, if, if I'm a partner and my spouse is like um, reading, me, reading from a disclosure document that every single bit of information in there is true, well, that's, that fulfills one need I have. But if it's happening with a lot of defensiveness, if there's a lot of um, hostility being projected at me, the behavior tells me a truth as well. Um, if, if on the other hand, um, I'm, I'm listening to this disclosure and I'm seeing some reactivity come up in my spouse, I'm seeing maybe some frustration or I'm seeing some change come up, but I also see him begin to utilize like tools he's learned in recovery about how to manage his own emotions, that's really important information for me too because it tells me he's maturing, like there's, that he's actually utilizing the tools he's learned in his, in his recovery. So, you know, that's a different type of emotional response for me based on the emotions I'm seeing him go into. Um, so I, I think in a lot of ways the emotional preparation. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Part. Yeah. You know, one yeah. of the things that I know is that people are going to want this book. I'm talking with Janice Caudill and also Dan Drake, who are the authors of Full Disclosure, How to Share the Truth After Sexual Betrayal. Now, guys, how can they get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of this book? Dan, I'm going to ask sure. you first. Oh, you want to ask me first? Okay. Um, well, first of all, for the the book, we have a um, a site for the for disclosure the disclosure workbooks right now, and that's at disclosurehope.com. And right now, it's just the workbooks up there, but we're hoping in the future to create even more support, other resources. Anytime we're, we're creating new things, we want to put them up there um, for people to be able to get some more support along the way. Um, so that's our uh, the, the home for the workbooks. You can reach me personally at banyantherapy.com, um, B-A-N-Y-A-N therapy.com. And you can reach me at um, McKinneyCounselingAndRecovery.com or DrJaniceCoddle.com. And I also want to say that, though, that 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 the book, the workbooks will actually be on Amazon. So there's there's a there's another um, another outlet for, for that as well. Mm-hmm. And are they available right now on Amazon? They are. But again, there's the the one thing that we're still finalizing is the the most the full version of the partners preparation workbook. You can get a condensed, mm-hmm. streamlined version right now that helps you walk through essentially the second phase of the process of preparing for the the actual disclosure um, session. Um, it doesn't have the the uh, part one and part three, but it has that middle section, which is which is a pretty foundational piece if you're yeah. needing to walk through disclosure as soon as possible and you can't wait, you know, uh, uh, several weeks or a month or so. Well, and you and I both – oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to speak to – you know, I appreciated what Janice was saying. Um, There's a couple things that that it made me think, and the first was from the addict's side in terms of the emotional preparation, and she mentioned a really important piece that what's the truth, the content truth and the behavioral truth. And so – 
what we do try to do is not just prepare content, but also help the, the addict or the disclosing party um, prepare emotionally and mentally. So if he does recognize or she does recognize that they collapse into shame, for example, what do I do about that? You know, and what are my tools and how do I prepare? So we know that, um, uh, especially if it comes from an addiction, that one of the core beliefs or number of core beliefs that addicts typically have is, um, I'm unlovable, I'm bad, I'm defective, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy. And usually because of those things, they end up hiding their secret sexual behaviors um, and have this other belief that uh, if, if my partner knew the full truth, the, the whole truth about me, there's no way that they would stay. So what we're asking in the disclosure journey is to say, yeah, we're going to challenge that belief and say, um, there's no way forward unless you do share the truth. Uh, in this relationship. That's the best way we found. And yet we recognize it's really scary. So building tools and resources and supports along the way um, is so important. And having a team of supports. Uh, that's one thing we tried to do in these workbooks was um, we, we did a survey of different people who have gone through disclosures and we wanted to give their voices of encouragement and support as well as, uh, you know, some tough words too, accountability for what, what to do and how to do this in the best possible way to save and heal relationships. So I just wanted to make that comment from the other side. Yeah. Well, well I Absolutely. Had, uh, so I was just going to ask you to, because you two are experts on the disclosure and you know how to do it right. And, you know, you both have collaborated to come up with a formula that absolutely ensures the best possible success in finding out about the truth. And so I'm just curious, you know, this is where the polygraph comes into play. It's, you know, the part of the disclosure. Now, what's your thoughts about a polygraph? Janice, I'm going to ask you. Um. I am, uh, well, I would um, be cautious about, you know, banking all of your your uh, trust and recovery in any one desi- device, whether it's a polygraph or anything else. But all in all, I've actually had witnessed uh, positive results from the use of the polygraph. Um, I, I think there's some caveats about how you can use it su- successfully that are really important going forward in recovery. But um, that was actually one of the areas where Dan and I had maybe some of the richest uh, conversations and where, for me at least, there's been a, like a, um, some real growth in the way that I even I view that because we actually, um, our experience is a little bit different in how and when we use them. Um, but I think it can be really, really helpful, particularly for partners. Um, and, you know, the, the, the data from our surveys um, has indicated that not only is it perceived as something that's really helpful for partners, again, when used appropriately, but it's actually also helpful for the recovering addict. Um, so my, my experience has been quite positive in Well, you know, we're talking the disclosure, but my experience is if you have a good polygrapher and he yeah. understands or she understands sexual addiction, not only is it some further evidence or at least empirical data that substantiates was the truth um, totally disclosed, but oftentimes because I have my couple go and meet with the polygrapher together. Of course, she can't necessarily sit in the room when he's being tested, but she comes in afterwards. And it's a nice process to start accountability so that maybe three months, six months, 12 months later, he goes in for another polygraph, and it helps to keep him accountable. It's that little extra push of, you know what, I love my wife, I could get away with this, but I probably won't if I'm going to be taking another polygraph. And it it just helps him make a better decision while the brain chemistry is calming down. You know, that reward center is not 
is really dimming down, and that's what has to happen for good recovery to occur. So it all is a catalyst for extra um, positive brain chemistry. That's at least what I found. I actually think it's also really helpful. Uh, again, when when used used appropriately, it's helpful for the partner as well. Not just in the obvious, to having like a um, some sort of outside um, measure that as as she's regaining trust that that helps with that. But um, specifically, that sort of security system that you, that you describe, where maybe every for the first year polygraphs are done quarterly maybe step back to every six months thereafter um but what it allows for the partner is when questions and doubts come up you know i have my my partners have like a, a question journal and they can download the question onto the page so it's it's psychologically it kind of feels like it's out of them they don't have to like carry it in their heads um knowing that that when it's time for that next polygraph, when they go back to their question journal, often, you know, by that the time that happens, many of the questions they don't even remember anymore. That was a passing thing. Some it's like, oh, this has been a theme. This has come up several times. I need to ask this question. So it, it helps them to, like, not have to be walking around with lots, lots of anxiety. Um, around questions, which makes it much easier for them to begin, like, really living their life again. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it really helps them the way I've used it with partners is we use that as a tool for recalibrating her own intuition, beginning to differentiate which questions kind of came up momentarily because I was triggered about something or the other, and that was more about fear Versus which ones kept coming up, that little voice inside that says, pay attention to this. And so I've, I've found, had a lot of partners who felt like it was really very helpful in having them really sync back up and begin to develop trust in their own intuition. And, I and Dan, say, what do you think? Well, I was just going to say, I, I'm first and foremost um, – because what was taken from the partner uh, through through deception and through sexual betrayal was choice, one thing, choice and time, um, I'm going to give a lot of choices to the partner. I won't mandate a, the use of a polygraph. I will, I'll give the choice to the partner to decide if this is something that would help him or her. So, And yet I've seen the value of it um, for both parties. And um, there's no perfect instrument, but um, it's, a, it's a good instrument. I've found on the whole that uh, people tend to remember more, and whether that's for remembering or remembering in quotes, I don't know. But when I do a polygraph, there seems to be more information that comes out right before the polygraph because it really helps the disclosing party say, "Is there anything more? Is there anything more I forgot? Um, anything more? Maybe I didn't want to share." And that's a common thing we hear: is, "Well, I'll share these, this, this, and this, but this one I just can't share. I'm not. I'm going to go to the grave with this one." Well, we know if you're holding pieces, it's still a partial disclosure. So, you know, I, I've seen the benefit for the polygraph to help um, what we call, you know, excavated truth, helping to remember more, um, you know, do a deeper dig and dive into to the past, especially because a lot of times addicts um, compartmentalize facts. They compartmentalize truth. So they they have a part of themselves that's a loving husband and father maybe but then there's another part that the darker side that's that does the other things that they they are now disclosing so we're trying to say um integrate these these parts and, and be able to to bring up the stuff that's been in the, the 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 darkness but a lot of times that stuff you know um takes some time to to do the digging and i think the polygraph can help but i will say uh, around the polygraph, uh, it, it's important to distinguish between a fidelity polygraph and a criminal f- polygraph. So this isn't if people are listening and you're thinking this is, uh, you know, what it is on TV or interrogation with the CIA or something. It's not. It's not that idea. It's not. Isn't it true on the, this date um, that such and such happened? The whole goal of a polygraph is is to um, uh, confirm to establish the truth of the document that the, the addict, the disclosing party, is sharing. So everybody in the room, everybody wants the, the the pass, 
the, the guy to pass. You know, in a criminal polygraph, you want to try and catch him in a lie. Well, at least with the person I work with, um, you know, he'll give every opportunity to tell the truth. If the polygraph isn't going well and it's looking like it's going to be a fail, oftentimes the guy I work with will stop the whole thing and say, this, you know, this isn't looking good. I, you, there's more there's more to the story. So, you know, to walk away with some more truth so that this thing can, uh, you know, that they can get the full truth out. So I think it's important to distinguish this is different. Um, and, and the whole point is to reestablish a new foundation of safety um, based on the facts, based on the truth. So I've seen the value. Um, and I, I definitely for the addicts, for the disclosing party side, I've seen what I've uh, unforeseen, I hadn't really expected this to be a benefit, but um, to, to back up to what disclosure is, again, it's, it's sharing the truth, but it's the addict's memory of the truth. So there may be m pieces that he's forgotten that are compartmentalized, that he hasn't uh, you know, fully recovered yet because he's still in the fog of early, early recovery. So what happens if you know, three months from now some new information comes to light that he literally had forgotten? Well, I found if, if he's willing to take a polygraph uh, for the disclosure, it's way more likely that the partner, um, if, if more information comes out later that he had forgotten, that she's going to say, okay, it's more likely you forgot it because you passed the polygraph, rather than, well, was this something you, you intentionally deceived me about? Were you withholding this thing? So I've seen that benefit of the polygraph for the disclosing party side, and it's, it's a big one. And generally I've found mm -hmm. most of the people that have gone through them, when they – you know, when this stuff happens and they're questioned, they're saying, you know what, I'm, I've got nothing to hide, I've got nothing to fear, you know, I'm willing to do another polygraph to prove it. And oftentimes that will settle things because they're, they're saying, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to go down this road if that's going to rebuild safety. So that's what I've seen. I've seen a lot of benefit from using them. Yeah, and, and, and I'd like to follow up on a piece that you, you mentioned, Dan, because I think it's really important for partners. And we tried to, to include... Um, in the workbook, some information about fidelity polygraph examiners and some some information about how they can work with you, some some ways of um, of accessing that. In fact, we have um, we included um, some information from uh, a very experienced polygraph examiner that we have here in Dallas, who was um, who was helpful with that. But but the piece about when you know you're facing a polygraph, rather than it's like if I if I want to find something that might be thrown in my closet, I open up the closet door, and and my closets are pretty junky, so I might just take a look around and know it's not here. But if I know, and and I'm I might be prone to um, answer questions that somebody asks of me of what I've done or not done in the same sort of manner. And you know, the question's here, I think about it, there's nothing that really readily comes to mind, so therefore the answer's no, there's nothing there. But, you know, if I actually get motivated enough to open up that closet door and start taking everything out systematically, I'm probably, it's likely that I'm going to find some, some things that I couldn't see on that cursory glance. The polygraph has the same kind of impact of like stopping people and you really thoroughly, you know, start reviewing your history. And um, I think that's why it's not uncommon for new information to suddenly come up and be disclosed prior to the polygraph. So this is an important thing for partners, and we've included like some coping plans in the workbooks because it's really important. To like in the I, I usually say 24 to maybe up to 72 hours before a polygraph to be prepared for like new information to be revealed. It's, it's that thing that the recovering addict remembers information. He wants to like share that before rather than have it coming up on the polygraph. So I think it's really important for partners that first of all they're a part of coming up with the questions. Okay, that they feel like they're a part of the process but also that they're actually prepared um, to potentially be blindsided um, prior to the polygraph. And so there's a, um, we included like resources in the workbook that really help um, both of them prepare for that process. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. I was saying before both of you came on. I mean, I had a woman who was told that a disclosure was going to happen. Her husband spent one session with a therapist, and the therapist said, I'm skilled at disclosures. And she came in on a lunch hour, a 50-minute session, to hear about the disclosure. Now, when when she said, and I'm going to want you to take a polygraph, I've been doing some research, I know that's important, he started backtracking. This was a very nice man who thought he didn't have to tell her everything. He wasn't prepared properly. I feel like addicts really need to know what's in their best interest in doing this disclosure. He wasn't given that information. He started hem-hawing around, and she ended up being a half hour late to work, trying to figure out what she was going to do because it was obvious that, A, he didn't know anything about a polygraph, and then, B, he hadn't told the entire truth. And, C, I don't know about you, but my disclosures take a minimum of three hours. That's at least what I allot for them. And, you know, so that everybody gets to talk and share the facts and get, you know, it's so important for the partner to feel like every question that she has up until that point has been answered. And I just felt for this woman, she had to go back to work. She said, I couldn't even function. I don't know how I drove home. What I heard, well, to the office, what I heard was devastating, but what I knew I didn't hear was even more devastating. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's part of maybe what motivated Dan and I. Um, You know, the disclosure process, I've seen it really change in in kind of my sort of geographic area um, in the last few years, and and that's a godsend because um, we could all probably share horror stories of, the, the how not only poor preparation has hurt the partner, but it ultimately hurts the recovering addict in the relationship because anything that hurts her and then further damages trust in the relationship is going to impinge on his recovery as well. Um, you know, and and on the one hand, part of my motivation is to try to be a force that helps. Um, make this um, a better process for, for, for both parties. And, Carol, I'm, I'm right there with you. I allot tons of time. I usually, my, my preference is to do it on a day when that's the only thing I have on my schedule and so it can take as long as it takes or as short as it takes. But also there's, there's a piece because I'm, uh, you know, uh, the three of us are, are all um, actively involved in and APSAS, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. And one of the things I've done over the years is been involved in, in some of the surveys that we have. And um, there's, there's one really haunting kind of response that I really remember, and it's actually from someone who never got the disclosure. So on the one hand, we have people partners who were hurt by poorly managed disclosures, but this particular person said that it's, it's been 40 years and I'm still waiting. Um, and that, that ache and that need, that, the pain of not knowing and the ache and the need for it, um, it is still there after all these decades. Um, so I think that, that it's, not all, it's not only important that they, that they happen, but it's important that they happen well. Because, it's, again, it's more than just what the information it is, is does that process, you know, do some, some repair um, for all the damage yeah. that the relationship is sustained to go with? It's just, the process needs to honor what its intent is, and its intent is to repair some of the ruptures. So I'm so glad you said that. We have a couple more minutes left, and that's my philosophy, too, that it really is the start of repairing a fractured relationship now that the truth is known. So if each one of you would just share in about a minute's time, how do you see this moving a couple forward into relationship recovery? Dan, I'll ask you first. 
Well, that's a big question. Um, well, first and foremost, I mean, like what you, you said, Janice, and then your heart, Carol, absolutely our heart is to help save people time, money, to streamline the process. So what we created uh, was a labor of love for a long time. Um, we spent thousands of hours probably um, working on this thing. And at the end of the day, Janice and I uh, don't, we don't do disclosures the same way exactly. But what, what we did in creating this was have a way that we could, we could talk about these issues, that, that couples, you know, every couple's going to be in a unique situation. I'm sure everyone that's listening um, in a unique place, in a unique, um, you know, circumstance. So what we, we did and what we thought would help uh, as we created these resources was to have a, a more streamlined way to have these conversations know what, what kinds of things can, can this look like? How does this work in the best possible way? Um, so really trying to, to streamline and, and more systematize the process or at least a way to, to discuss the process. And what we thought, uh, you know, I, I see over and over and over again, and I hear this, and our survey reported this, that a lot of times the, the, the major damage from disclosures is poorly facilitated, poorly run disclosures. And what we're hoping to do is, um, you know, to, to help couples walk through that in a, in a safer way and to really think through what is this and what am I going to get and then moving into relational healing um, which is you know a plug for your book Carol I uh, love it I've started using it with with couples already but moving into uh, you know building a new foundation of truth and honesty that rebuilds safety and that starts to rebuild trust and then we can start moving towards relational repair after that um, but without a, a foundation of honesty and truth it's really hard. It's it's like building a, a house on a with no foundation. So what this does, the disclosure journey is, is helps build a new foundation for couples um, in healing their relationship. That makes total sense. And Janice, how about for you? Well, um, I will second all that Dan said. I, I will say for the, for the partner. Um, part of what having the, like, knowing what's, what she can trust to be real in her own history, um, knowing what the actual betrayals were allows her to do is to actually grieve. And, um, you know, no one can can begin to, to um, reestablish, you know, a healthier, healthier, better life if you can't grieve. And I think a piece I think that's really important um, that I'll say, Dan, that, that you know I have also spent a lot of hours talking about, and it's built in more overtly to the um, to the addicts workbook, and that's that I think unbeknownst to the recovering addict that the disclosure preparation is the beginnings of working on developing empathy. Um, you know. After the disclosure, while the partner's grieving, it becomes like more overt in that that work, and you know, um, so it's almost like a component that mm-hmm. begins that process. Which I agree with Dan that that your book um, is is fabulous for, but the 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 work in the coupleship. Like once a partner kind of knows like what her own history is. This is this is my story. This is what's real for me. This is who I am. Um, you know, and this is how like the pain has changed me. Then the the two of them began to like try to understand how they got there. You know, because he has a story too, um, and and really maybe for the first time. He's actually able to look at it accurately, accurately, and put it together. And the the, the sharing of that in like the long weeks, months, kind of after mm-hmm. the disclosure, that actually begins the digesting of the pain oh, I in, agree. in the relationship. And as they're doing that, without again, without initially being aware of it, they're actually beginning to create a new story. Of who they are. And that's what I want our listeners to know because we've got 15 seconds and I want them to get this book because it is so imperative. It's full disclosure how to share the truth after sexual betrayal. It's to help them become educated on what they need to know to further the relationship or at least access the truth. 
Dan and Janice, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, thank you, Carol. Carol. Thank you for your time and your heart. Oh, absolutely. We'll talk soon. When that full thing is done, I want to know about it. we got to get you back on. This is so important. Got to go. All right. All right. Bye-bye. And so I will say, there will only be one of you at all times fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week.